0: Richard Harris and his wife lie in bed in their Flint, Texas home one morning, snuggled up together, when all of a sudden they felt something underneath them moving. They both looked at each other and asked one another, Did you feel that? Yes, I felt that. Did you feel that? I did. They jumped out of bed, and they saw this massive movement underneath the mattress that seemed to be going in circles and moving around. Richard's wife bolted from the room. He went next door and got his grandfather. He went his grandfather to come in and make sure that he wasn't just losing his mind. And he says to his grandfather, do you see it? Do you feel it? And the grandfather puts his hand in the center of the bed. And sure enough, something is underneath the cover of the mattress. It's enormous. It's a six-foot python in their bed underneath the cover of their mattress. They called the fire department. I thought about my friend Chuck Balk this week. We get calls like that in the fire department. He called the fire department. And the fire department sent somebody out. Of course they did. And a fellow first-arriver got there, saw what was going on, thought, oh, my goodness, um, this is going to take more than one person. So he cuts a hole in the mattress, and then he goes out of the room, shuts the door, and, and goes and moves his car while he waits for backup to arrive. The cavalry comes. They go in. They cut open the mattress and open it up. And the snake is gone. Nowhere to be found. They searched all over the house and could not find this six-foot python. Um, The firefighters decided after some point, you know, that, hey, we got to go. We can't stay around here forever. But they said to the man and and his wife, now listen, pythons are very intelligent creatures. It most likely went back out the same way it got in. But if you see it again, it probably won't happen during the daylight hours. You'll probably discover it at night. You know, this would be the point at which Abby and I would say, we're moving right now. No, not tomorrow, not later on, like right now. We're we're leaving. This is over. Um, It's a surprise that no one would want to have, isn't it? I mean, some surprises are nice. There are surprises that we like. Um, you know, somebody sends a present or a card, throws you a party on your birthday, all great kind of flowers. You, uh, your great kind of surprises. You get flowers from somebody you weren't expecting them, or you know, a note in your lunch. All beautiful surprises. Everyone likes those surprises. But a snake in your bed, not so much. You know, not the sort of surprise that you want. And I thought about how surprises need modifiers. We need. The word surprise needs a modifier. It needs an an adjective to go with it, doesn't it? A happy surprise. A wonderful surprise. A delightful surprise. A tragic surprise. (laughs) a, A terrifying surprise. An unwanted surprise. Things happen that we don't expect, and they surprise us, sometimes for the good and sometimes for the ill. When Abby and I were newly married... We were lying in bed one night and, and she had already fallen asleep and I was just there drifting off when all of a sudden I heard this fluttering sound. And you know how that time where you're almost asleep but you're not quite asleep and you maybe have thoughts that are like dreams that are beginning and, and, and I opened up my eyes and thought to myself, did I hear that or was I dreaming that, you know, and, and so I sat up in the room and I, you know, just listened and Abby's a really light sleeper so she says to me, what is it? And I said, oh, it's probably nothing. I think I just had a dream. And she's like, well, tell me, what what happened? I said, well, I thought I heard a fluttering sound, like wings. Perhaps it was an angel. (laughs) She didn't believe that it was an angel. No, it wasn't an angel. Get up and look. And so I get up, and I look around the room, and I don't find anything. And then right there on the top of the bedroom door, this little brown bat. Oh, yes. I'll spare you the rest of the details, because they are not only harrowing, they're embarrassing, but after a while, um, we recovered and lived. Um, it's a sort of surprise you don't want to get, right? In the middle of the night, a fluttering sound, a bat. It's an unwanted surprise. Sometimes surprises are occasions for happiness, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're delightful, sometimes they're terrifying. But there are also these sort of surprises that are long delayed. It's something that you expect to happen, but it takes a long time. And because it takes a long time, you sort of forget about it. I thought about how, you know, children, when they come home from college, you know, you're expecting them. You know they're coming home. But maybe someday they just pop in. Mom, Dad, I'm home. And you hadn't expected them. And what a great surprise that is, isn't it? And you you get all delighted and giddy and happy Um, Or, 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 you know, one day you go out to the mail um, and you find your income tax return check and, wow, what a great day, you know, blue ribbon day, so happy, I've got money. Um, Surprises that are long delay. We've all seen these surprises of um, service members, men and women, who have, um, you know, returned from a tour of duty and they come back early so that they can surprise their children. I've a couple times been at Browns games and um, and Indians games when this happens and it's up on the big screen. Have you seen this? You know, a dad comes home and he's in military fatigues and, and you know, he's got a 10-year-old and, and they're at the ball game and all of a sudden out comes dad and I, I don't know about you, but I just can't stop crying. It, I, I, I tear up every time I see that. And I'm with my friends and like, oh, I got something in my eye. You know how we do. Uh, you know, the, the, it's it's really that sort of thing where... It's a surprise. You expected it. But just not here at this moment, just not now. Waited so long. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, a preacher called Isaiah wrote this book in the Bible. And he tells the people of Israel in this long book filled with poetry and prose about a day when God is going to rescue Israel from her enemies. It's going to come, he says, and it's going to happen at a time when you don't expect it. But here's where you need to begin looking look in the wilderness. Look to the wilderness. This is where, where the first herald, the first harbinger of, of rescue is going to come from. It's going to come ha- happening out of the wilderness. Behold, Isaiah says, you will hear the voice of one crying in the wilderness. This is where? In the desert. If you ever had a chance to be in, in the Middle East, in the area around Israel, you know, you get out into the desert, it's a rugged place. It's a scary place. Um, it's a place where uh, a very harsh environment. But the wilderness is also sort of a place of mystery. It's a place uh, where, where um, people go to experience spiritual revival. And it's a place where there's all sorts of danger. And so you see this in Jesus, don't you? He, he goes off into the wilderness to face temptation by the devil. But it's also the place where the angels minister to him. And so there's this sort of combination of rugged place and, and spiritual renewal place. Look to the wilderness. Your surprise rescue is going to come from the wilderness. And this is what happens in the early part of the the time of the New Testament, before Jesus arrives, people have actually moved out to the wilderness. (laughs) There's a group of people who move out and decide to live these monastic-style lives in the caves, in the wilderness, just above the Dead Sea. If you've ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, this is their library. The people who moved out and lived in caves where nobody else lived, way away from civilization... There were other people who also moved out to the wilderness. The people that they would call freedom fighters. Remember, Israel is an occupied country. The Romans are there. And they, the Romans detest the Jews. And they, the Romans, it, it's, a, it's an unhappy marriage right here. I mean, they're, they're, the Romans are, are, are brutal. They are cruel. They dislike and distrust the Jews. They, they don't like anything about them. Their culture, their religion, their stubbornness, nothing about them. And the Jews, for their part, want the Romans out. This is our country. We do not want to be ruled by you. And so there's this um, group of people who are who are like um, you know, like terrorists, where they would see see themselves as freedom fighters. They're They're the good people who are going to fight for Israel. They're going to fight to restore and save this nation and its people. They're also out in the wilderness. Isaiah says, look to the wilderness. Behold, you hear a voice crying in the wilderness. And if you were an ancient Israelite, which voice would you be hearing crying out from the wilderness? Get ready for the coming of God by living in this monastic community. Get ready for the coming of God by taking up arms and fighting against the Romans. These are a couple options that you have. There's another ancient preacher, his name's Malachi. He also tells about God's arrival, his coming rescue of Israel. And about the one who will be the messenger. He'll get the things started. Malachi chapter 3, it's not in your your, uh, leaflet, but listen to this. Behold, the prophet speaking for God, I send my messenger and he will prepare a way before me. And then in the next chapter, chapter 4, behold, I will send you Elijah. Calls him out by name. I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Isaiah, look to the wilderness. Malachi, look for Elijah. We know where to look and we know for whom to look. Now, in case you're wondering about Elijah, how would you know if it's him? You know, I mean, does he have a tag? Hello, my name is Elijah. You know the name badge that he wears? Uh, you know, maybe he's a member of a, you know, of a church. You know, he's got, he's got his little name badge up there. Well, no, that's not what you're looking for, are you? Elijah, the great prophet of old, Israel's greatest hero. He and Moses stand together as these these two sides of the of this greatest coin of of, of hall of fame prophets. In fact, maybe you know about Elijah that he doesn't actually even die. Scripture says one day he's walk, walking along with his disciple and protege Elisha when a chariot swoops down out of heaven, catches him up, and takes him away. This is the sort of heroic um, prophet that Elijah was. But what did he look like? Well, in 2 Kings chapter 1, we find out what he looks like. In 2 Kings chapter 1, there's a story about this king who is um, sick and he, he thinks he might die. And so instead of calling for a preacher to come, a preacher of God, he called, sends his, his servants out to go speak to some you know, pagan uh, diviners, see what they say. And while they're en route, they come along Elijah, who says, go back and tell the king that he's going to die, because he should have looked to God for help instead of to these pagan sources. And when they get back, the messengers get back and tell the king, the king asks a question. He says to them, what kind of man was it who came to meet you and told you these things? And they answered, He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather around his waist. Wait a minute. He wore, this is word for word from Mark's gospel, isn't it? Look to the wilderness. Look for Elijah. Mark's gospel John appeared baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And everyone was going out to him. Now John wore clo- John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. In the wilderness, living off the land, dressed like Elijah. He's the one! Well, not the one. He's the one who comes before the one, right? This is our sign. Here's our messenger. It's like when you go to a ball game. I don't know, you ever go to a ball game? I go to a couple of ball games. And 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 what happens, you know, you you, you get there, you park, you go through the ticket, you all that stuff, you get your hot dog, you sit down, the national anthem starts up. This is the last thing before the real thing. The national anthem locates you. Here's where we are. The thing is about to begin. John the Baptist is the national anthem. He's the one who's striking up the band. It's time for this rescue plan of God to begin. He's about to save his people. We knew where to look, we knew what to look for. John's not the surprise, the surprise is what comes after John. He says, there's one coming. I'm not strong enough. I'm not capable enough to bend down and tie his shoes. He's coming. God is coming. Isaiah said, it is God himself who's coming. Malachi said, it's God himself who's coming. John the Baptist says, there's one coming. I'm not even worthy to tie his shoe. Get ready. I wonder, are we ready to meet the Lord? I'm not talking about dying and going to heaven and standing before judgment. I'm talking about meeting Him in our world right now. I wonder how many people came to church this morning thinking, we're going to meet the Lord. We're going to come into the presence of the eternal God. I love Annie Dillard. Um, her, she, she says, you know, people, uh, should they go to church wearing straw hats. They should wear crash helmets. This is a dangerous enterprise we're getting involved in here. And when Jesus shows up, he rattles everyone, doesn't he? He rattles everyone. He does not fit any mold that people had expected him to fit. Think about the options. I told you about the people living in the caves in the wilderness. That's not Jesus, is it? He's not part of the freedom fighter group. Grabbing swords. Ambushing Roman soldiers on their way around the corner. He's not part of this wealthy religious group. This powerful group. Very small in number that run the temple but make a lot of money and cozy up to the Romans. You did not hang out with them either. He doesn't even hang out with the very pious people who pride themselves on their personal holiness, who love to live by the motto, we're in the world but not of it. Jesus gets into more confrontations with that group than any of them. He's a preacher and a teacher. He talks about God and God's kingdom. But he does all the wrong things. He does all the wrong things. He hangs out with all the wrong people. Do you see the people that he hangs around? Look at at Luke chapter 7. He says, John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking, and you said he has a demon. But the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you said, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax gatherers and sinners. (laughs) All the wrong people. Don't you know what you're supposed to do? Here's the thing that really baffles me. 2,000 years later, we still don't get it. This becomes a dusty book of esoteric magic spells that helps us to organize and structure our religion. That's not what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a life-giving word. That calls us to say, oh my word, look how God shows up in, in the world. In all the wrong places, with all the wrong ways. Think I'm wrong? Ask yourself, what is holiness? Is holiness the monastic community? Is holiness the ones who get involved in the culture wars? Left or right? Is holiness about wealth and power? And social recognition, being part of the in-group and the popular crowd? Is it even congratulating ourselves on our personal piety and purity? pitch posh. <laughs> it's none of that, is it? Holiness, according to Jesus, is taking God to people who need it. I did not come to call the healthy, but I came to bring a physician to the sick. See, we might recognize the messenger. Huh, yeah, you yeah, didn't get us on that. We knew where to look and we knew what to look for. It's the one who comes after the messenger that trips us up. We didn't expect to find him. We didn't expect to find this guy. See, some surprises are nice, like parties and gifts and little notes flowers. Some are frightening, like snakes, bats, bears. When we look for God to come on the scene, what do we expect to find? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.